This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. And welcome to a Wednesday Bulls Beat. Got to tell you, it was the right decision to take Tuesday's show off, even though we had some news. We'll gather it up for you. But there was a lot happening on Tuesday, and there's a lot more happening on this Wednesday. Namely, we've got, well, four sports playing at once, so no, you're only going to hear two of them. We're not going to throw two games on at once on our two channels. We'll definitely be using both Bulls Unlimited and the Strike 1025 HD2 on Wednesday night. Unlimited for the men's war, and I four women will be on the strike hosting Tulsa on senior night. You'll hear from a couple of the seniors and head coach of the Bulls, Jose Fernandez, and Ariel Wilson, the point guard, speaking about the seniors here shortly on the program. You'll also hear a couple highlights from a baseball game that went to 7th-ranked Florida. We had it live for you on Unlimited. Bulls were right there with the 7th-ranked Gators, 2-1 to one going into the ninth before the Gators got really rude and decided to attack on four runs, three of them bombs of home runs. But overall, an awesome night at the baseball stadium that we'll recap for you. So baseball is back at it against the Gators in Gainesville today. Softball is hosting FGCU for a doubleheader. As I mentioned, there's a lot happening. And remember we said we spoke to members of the track and field team, want to bring you one of those conversations in our second segment. I think you'll really enjoy meeting pole vaulter and a guy who's been doing some great things for the squad, Kobe Babin. So women's basketball audio, some baseball highlights, track and field interview. Of course, a dual night in basketball to actually preview when it comes to the games. Oh yeah, we've got some women's golf news as they wrapped up an event on the other side of the country. But let's start off with the football schedule, which was released. We knew the conference opponents, some of course familiar, some new to the conference. And now we can actually give you a full schedule. It's weird because it starts on the road, but then it gets really home friendly until it's not. The Bulls begin at Western Kentucky on Saturday, September the 2nd. No game times for any of these. We still have a few months away. We're talking about September and we're wrapping up February yet. Then three in a row at home, the ninth against FAMU. Saturday, September 16th against the Alabama Crimson Tide. It's just awesome to say that. And then the Bulls actually begin conference play with game number four. Usually it's four non-con, then you get into the American. So right off the bat, a brand new league opponent, the Rice Owls. Then the Bulls, like I said, it is road-centric. Mark that date down, September the 23rd, because between then and 11-11, which I always say it that way because 11 is my favorite number. Now you know 11-11 is my favorite time. If I'm ever doing a soccer game and you hear me say 11-11 left, it's because, well, that's my time. Anyway, November the 11th, that would be seven full weeks where there's only one home game in between, and it's one that you would almost actually have rather be on the road because it's the in-state team in conference, Florida Atlantic. So that's going to be a key stretch, you would say. They start off at Navy, at UAB. Then they have homecoming against the FAU Owls. That's October the 14th. Then to UConn, former conference opponent, now going the Indy route. Then a bye week, hence the seven weeks where you only have the one home game, before going back on the road to Memphis. And then finally, as I mentioned, November the 11th against Temple. They will visit Texas San Antonio on a Friday night, November the 17th, before wrapping up at home. So weird to not have the Warren I-4 at the end of the year, isn't it? It'll be Charlotte instead. So eight conference games, hosting Rice, FAU, and then late in the year, Temple and Charlotte, with the visits being to Navy early at UAB, and then in November, Memphis and UTSA. If anything, the Bulls are going to jump right in against 
the new conference opponents. The only one of the six incomers from Conference USA the Bulls don't play is North Texas, and that means of the seven other holdovers, the Bulls are not facing four of them, namely East Carolina, SMU, Tulane, and Tulsa. Seven of the 12 opponents made a bowl game last year, including Western Kentucky, which went 9-5 and five and rolled in the New Orleans Bowl. Yes, the Rice Owls went to a bowl game, despite finishing 5-8. and eight. They were one of the limited 5-7 and seven squads that qualified, but hey, technically that's a bowl game, and I believe Alabama went to a bowl game. UTSA was fantastic last year, won the Conference USA going 8-0 and, and then beating North Texas in the championship game, did lose to Troy in the Cure Bowl, but finished 11-3 and overall, so could be a pretty big game at the end of the season. We are getting to the end of the regular season in basketball, and it'll be a war on I-4 tonight in Orlando, as Brian Gregory said on the new Brian Gregory Show with Jim Lighthall that was recorded last night over in Orlando that we debuted at 9 a.m. on Wednesday, and we'll repeat a couple times leading up to tonight's broadcast on Unlimited. It has been a home-dominated series the last few years, so the Bulls, as great as they were in Tampa, are going to have to try and bring it tonight in Orlando against a team that, when the Bulls last played them, was an NCAA tournament team, and the Bulls kind of pushed them under that line, and they have kept dropping. They lost at the horn to Cincinnati, and David Julius nailed them in Orlando just a few days ago, so they are not in the running for an NCAA bid unless they really run the table. Different team at home, as the coach mentioned, with Jim. If you remember last year, when we absolutely, and our fans will love this, demolished them at our place, just demolished them. I mean, it was a, a whooping, an ass whooping, if you can say that. We had more rebounds than they had points. That, that doesn't happen at all. No, but then when we came here, they out-rebounded us. And like, how does that happen? You know what I mean? Well, we out-rebounded them by, I think, 11 or 12 at home. We got to do the same thing. That, that's a big key. When you play Central Florida, you have to win the rebounding battle. Because if they're controlling the glass, they're able to get out and get some easy ones in transition or get second shots. And their second shots to a player like Hendricks is a, th- is a three or Kelly's a three or, or Johnson is a three. So you have to – the whole thing is you got to rebound the ball. You have to rebound on both ends. Offensively, we got to do a great job of getting some other opportunities by getting second-chance points. Last year, the Bulls couldn't miss from three-point land. It was 75-51 in Tampa, and it was just flipped the script in Orlando. It was not competitive, 68-49. So this year, the Bulls, as you know, probably the game of the year. And, oh, yeah, we'll replay it a couple times leading up to tonight's broadcast, 85-72, but they will have to bring it tonight over at the Addition Financial Arena. Pre-game 6.30 on USF Bulls Unlimited. On the strike, 102.5 HD2, we will originate from the Yingling Center. Last chance to see the Bulls at home this year. Of course, you would love to say that the Bulls have a chance of hosting an NCAA tournament first round. That's not realistic, even though the Bulls are the American Athletic Conference regular season champions. They certainly will be aiming to improve their seed. Before we get to the two seniors that you'll have a last chance probably to see at home tonight, here's Jose Fernandez, who met with a pretty large throng of media on Tuesday for an update on his regular season champion team heading to the home stretch. And last year you finished runner-up and in second place, and you had to replace um, three and a half, four starters, right? Because uh, Dulce was off and on uh, starting, coming off the bench there uh, down the stretch. So I just told our guys it's a great accomplishment with two games left to play to, to be regular season uh, champions, but 
there we still have so much to do. I, I think you you need to close out league play in the right way. You need to win at home, and then get ready for Cincinnati, uh, and then be ready to win three games in three days. We, we still have a lot to play for, uh, conference championship and an automatic bid, but also every game we play, you know, the seed line for the NCAA tournament. Has, has something to play for. Uh, I know that you remind the players week to week of what's ahead still and what needs to be done. Now, you know it and know some of your veterans know it. Do you have a sense that the whole team realizes there's work left? Yeah, they do now. You know, I don't think, I don't think our international guys know what RPI, net, strength of schedule, home wins, road wins, neutral site wins, <laughs> point differential, any of that stuff. But I think they got a better understanding of it now. That's always something I'm curious about, and the reason I ask the question is, you know, players love to play ball, and the Bulls, as you know, have a bunch of international players, but when you're growing up in wherever, Spain, Croatia, you don't really think about the NCAA tournament. So for you and I, and especially a guy like me who watches college basketball all year long and happens to broadcast it as well, it's kind of the zenith of things. It's what you're aiming for. And you would hope that the players on the team kind of recognize that it's elevated and that kind of thing. And I do think, no Sammy Puisis, no Elena Chinecki because she's been there. Same with Dulce and Ariel Wilson. Realize it. But yeah, as he said, maybe players like Carla Brito and Marina Asensio and Emma Johansson don't quite fully grasp that. It sounds like this team is different in that regard. And that's a good thing. Oh, just mentioned Elena Chinecki and Dulce Fankamengiadu. Obviously, we'll talk much more about them when we hit the air tonight. But they will be honored for senior night. And here's what the head coach thinks about that duo. Well, I think the biggest legacy outside of basketball, they've been incredible student-athletes in the classroom, in the, in the community. Uh, what they've done here is people counts a lot more than, than as basketball players. That's why they're going to be so successful uh, long after that they leave here, uh, this place. You know, both of them. Both of them are player of the year worthy, you know, first team all league or on an all American type of caliber. And you know, both of them, what they've done, look at statistically. You know, I know five, hopefully five years down the road, both of them have their uh, their jerseys in the rafters because their, their stats des- will be deservingly so. Pretty strong words there, thinking that maybe Dulce Fankamangiadu and Elena Chinecki should have their jerseys retired one day. Love it. Love both of them, by the way, and here's a little bit of both. First of all, Chinecki, then Fankamangiadu. When it comes to L, we begin with, will she get emotional tonight? And then more into what she's been doing lately. The last couple games, she was the reigning American Athletic Conference Player of the Week. We didn't have a Tuesday show, so let's officially make that announcement. No surprise there. Followed by Dulcie, same thing. Will she be emotional? And then more from the Bulls' outstanding center. Right now, it hasn't hit me, but... (laughs) I think when he gets to that, that moment, he'll be very emotional, yeah. I actually trust myself a lot, but I also believe that my teammates trust me as well, so that gives me even more confidence. So without my teammates, I wouldn't be able to even believe in myself like that, you know. Are you a crier? I don't even know. I'm not a crier. Well, hopefully not. I don't know either. <laughs> but it hasn't dawned on me yet. Right now, I'm just like, it's another game, so maybe tomorrow I will see how it goes. You guys won the championship. If you look at the record, people might think it was easy, but you got challenged all year long. Could you speak about what it took to sort of go through all those challenges and keep on winning? I think one of the reasons that made us so good was like the coaches trying to make us aware every game that every team will come on us and, like, you know, compete. Like, 
most of the team we had this year, whether it was the worst team of the conference or the best, they were really coming hard on us, don't know, making things that we never saw against other teams. So it was that awareness that kept us going and be like, okay, we need to be our best all like every night. And while Fanka Mengiadu said she wouldn't be crying, I think her longtime friend Ariel Wilson, who was with her for the last of Wilson's two seasons at Memphis and, of course, has been with her now for two more at USF. I mean, there's been quite a few games. I would say a lot um, last year and this year, just from watching her and seeing her growth. It's going to be really hard to say goodbye um, and play that final game with her, but I'm so happy for her. And just like seeing her grow, like her personality has come out, and I love that girl. So I'm really proud of her and excited to see where she goes. Oh, man. I hope Bridget Miranda didn't hear that. Famously, Bridget, during our pregame on senior night, tends to well up. So we might even hit the air a little bit sooner then 6.45, we'll let you know. Follow me on Twitter, at Derek Sharp. We talked to Sammy Puises. She's not being honored tonight. Thankfully, she will be coming back for another year. But we wanted to get a few words in from her, and I namely was interested in two things, her improved rebounding of late, but also a moment against UCF. We'll play the moment first, and then here's some of Sammy Puises before we continue along. Less than four minutes to go. Ball's up 25. And Puises puts up another one. That looks good, and it is. That was a frustrated-looking three by Sammy. She's like, I'm tired of these baskets not letting the ball go in, and I'm going to do something about it. And that was just a take-that-basket shot by Sammy, and all of a sudden it's 70 to 42. Well, you know, it's senior night, so we're going to play for Ellen Dulcie um, and just give it everything. I haven't seen a reaction from you like the one on your, I think, second make in the third quarter against UC- fourth quarter against UCF. Were you a little fed up at that one at that time? I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, just missing a lot in the beginning, um, keep shooting. And like I said, my teammates give me all the confidence. The bench went crazy. So, yeah, it was very fun. Where does the rebounding come from all of a sudden? I mean, not just the last couple games against SMU. I've noticed it build up throughout the course of the year. Um, I feel like I've always been a pretty strong rebounding. Um, but it's, you know, it's all mental. You just got to gotta say to yourself, like, you got to go and get the, get the rebounds. Um, but, yeah, that's something I'm definitely trying to do more of, trying to be self unselfish and get assists, get rebounds, anything I can for my team to get the win. It's a great team. Probably should mention tonight's opponent being the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. They started off 5-0 and in the conference. And I remember back when Charlie Cream, the ESPN bracketologist, who, by the way, these days has the Bulls as a sixth seed heading to Duke to play in the first round. But he had Tulsa as the automatic qualifier, and people were upset. And it was basically because he automatically, his system, early in the season, it can be skewed a little, goes with the team that's in first place. Well, Tulsa was that team. And I caution people not to get too upset because I wouldn't, be surprised if Tulsa, which was dynamite offensively shooting the three, ended up being an NCAA tournament team, and maybe the conference gets too well. Since their 5-0 start, the game before they played the Bulls, they lost to Tulane on the road. No harm in that. 5-0 was their best start ever in league play. And since then, they haven't done much better. Their only win is against last place Cincinnati. They've fallen from 5-0 to 6-7 in conference. They still love to shoot the threes. One player who didn't play against the Bulls is a talented swing player, Array Young, but they just haven't hit as many threes as they're accustomed to and see if the Bulls can not catch them on a hot night. They seemingly have been catching teams shooting the ball pretty well. SMU made those first six shots but did fizzle out quite a lot. And the Bulls, we mentioned, again, no conference show, have wrapped up number one. One other thing we want to mention on tonight, and we'll let you know, obviously, during the course of the broadcast on the Strike 1025 HD2, how East Carolina is doing. It hosts Houston, 
And if the Pirates win and they're handing out free admission to this game at 6 o'clock start, they will wrap up second place. That is just phenomenal. Now, Houston's going to push them, you know that, as they beat the Bulls a couple Sundays ago. We don't have to tell you that. But East Carolina was picked to finish last, so to finish second will be quite something. Houston's still in the running for second, as is Memphis. With a week to go in the regular season, the Bulls don't play again until the finale for them next Wednesday at Cincinnati. So tonight and then this weekend, and then, of course, the last game of the regular season next Wednesday, a lot will be sorted out elsewhere in the standing. And just as a reminder, in case you forgot, it has been a while since the first meeting. Again, going into it, Tulsa was 15-4, 5-1 in the league. It got the Bulls to 19-4, 8-0. That was when the Bulls were having a lot of close games at halftime. This was a little bit different as they pushed it at the end of the first half to a 10-point advantage and kept on increasing. 89-68, they really got Tulsa on the glass. The Golden Hurricane basically are a five-guard team. Tamir Poindexter is outstanding, but they struggle underneath in general. The Bulls had a plus 20 on the glass. Dulce Fankin-Mengiadu, no surprise, had a big game against them with 25 points and 15 boards, eight offensively. Allen Echenecki scored 21, incidentally, so if they copy that, tonight will be a pretty good senior night. Tulsa near the top of the country in three points made and attempted, so get used to that, but the Bulls actually kept pace. Sammy Puises hit three of them. They were six for 18 as a team, while Tulsa was just seven for 22. Last night, baseball fell to one and three on the season, but was right there with a seventh-ranked Florida Gator team that could not be stopped offensively in its opening series, outscored Charleston Southern 37 to five, and sported a rotation that's going to win them plenty of series, in my opinion, this year. And it turns out their other pitchers are pretty good as well. The Bulls just couldn't get it going offensively. And when I say that, their first batter of the game scored, but it was an error on the other side. They did not commit an error, the Gators, all weekend long. So first thing, the Bulls got on the board with this hit. Oh, Brodell pops that one into the right field, and it's going to get through the gap. It is going to score Cantu and maybe Brutcher. Right fielder Evans gets to it. They're going to hold up Drew. Marcus Brodell with his first hit of the season. An RBI double. And it's 1-0 USF. On second thought, it would have been better if Brutcher could have scored on that one. But listen, you're not going to beat the Florida Gators 2-1. It'll probably happen at some point this year because I'm guessing they'll face some pretty decent pitching in the SEC. But their pitching was really good. And so was the Bulls starting pitching. Jack Siebert got into a little bit of a jam early on, but got out of it. Siebert hits that inside corner. That was a beautiful pitch. Called strike three. Nice job, Jack. And the Gators get three hits in the inning, but nothing to show for it. They strand a couple. Stayed 1-0 going into the fourth. Again, the Gators threatened, but here comes with the bases loaded, Boogie Brown to get a fielder's choice up the middle. Bulls were hoping to tack on some runs, but the Gators' trio of pitchers was just too strong, and the Gators would take the lead in the six on a solo shot off of Brown by Jack Caglione, who is merely, at a plant high school, the Gators' game three starter. Looks like a game one starter as far as pitching goes. K-9 nearly went seven on Sunday. And when he's not pitching, he's hitting, and he's jacking home runs out of the park. Then it got out of hand in the ninth inning with three home runs. Riley's scheme was great up until that point. If you want to hear those home runs, we will add them to the unlimited, unloaded version of the show. We post it later on on SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, and I always tweet out the link when we're there. But let's move on to tonight. First of all, the Bulls will be going up against the Gators at 6 from Gainesville, looking to stop their losing streak at 3, while the Gators, who out-hit the Bulls 11-5 to and honestly had more of the scoring opportunities last night, the Gators are 4-0. Softball is going to be at home if you want to drop by on your way to basketball or figure it out for yourself. We'll be... In the midst of a lot of stuff tonight, 
You know that the softball team played a bunch of ranked teams last weekend and unfortunately fell to 2-7 and seven with an 0-4 week. We'll see how they do against a team that has a better record but has not played any ranked teams. That's FGCU. The Eagles have played all of their games at home thus far and are 7-4. and four. Oh, by the way, the new rankings, D1 softball et al., have the next two Bulls opponents. Tomorrow, they're hosting Clemson. Jim Lauk will have the call at 6 o'clock now in the fifth spot in the country. And then Friday's opponent, Tennessee, they're ranked 11th, the Volunteers. So what a schedule Ken Erickson's team is putting together. Women's golf was in the show. That's the name of the event they were playing at at the Spanish Trail, the show course in Las Vegas. 36 holes on Monday, 18 on Tuesday. Melanie Green was great. She finished tied for fifth with a three under par for the three rounds. Her final round Tuesday was quite eventful. She started on the back nine, birdied three holes, was three under for her round, then got to four. She would have three more birdies for a total of seven, but also mixed in a couple of bogeys and a double, and still that adds up to three under par. Alize Vidal was the second best overall score on the team, tied for 34th at seven over par. She had 16 pars, a birdie, but unfortunately a quadruple bogey on the 16th still, a top 40 finish. Lauren Heinland had her best round of one under 71, but had started off not so well, so just finished outside the top 50. And Leo Medeiros, who was so good in her last event, got into the starting lineup and couldn't carry that over. She ended up 17 over pars. The Bulls definitely have the players and the pieces on the team, just have to piece them all together for a full three rounds. Last time out, they were in the running for a title through two before falling off. They'll get another chance in Dallas. Yesterday, they ended up finishing ninth, which is really where they were ticketed. 21 over par with another five shots to the team in front of them and another four shots to the team right behind them, which, by the way, was one of the two top 50 teams the Bulls finished ahead of. That'd be Purdue along with Kent State. Mississippi State was the highest-ranked team in the field and won it at nine under par. Bulldogs are ranked sixth in the country. 30th-ranked Pepperdine was two back, and then New Mexico, the only other team under par, host UNLV, finished right at even par.